0: Welcome to Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake District. And a special welcome to our annual Christmas get-together with author, illustrator and our guide for today's walk, Mark Richards. Hello, Mark.
1: Hello, Dave. This is a marvellous place to be. On a green.
0: By a sparkling Christmas tree in Wetherall, that fabulous Eden village. Very well to do, Mark.
1: It's a lovely setting, and as listeners will know, at this time of year, the light fails very quickly. So we've got a lot to cram into a short day. We
0: have. Now, regular listeners will know uh, when we approach our Christmas festivities on Country Stride that it coincides, Mark, with your annual jaunt as a certain jolly red-tunicked gentleman. You've been doing your annual... Service to the community as uh, one of Father Christmas's helpers, Mark.
1: I've been a, a lookalike now for a- my local village for several years. Mm. Uh, I normally get in the grotto, right? Uh, but there's no grotto this year. I-, I had to stand after the snowfall that we luckily got. I was uh, filmed. Greeting the, the youngsters with uh, certainty that I would be arriving with my sleigh oh. at the critical night, the gift we bring today, Mark, will be
0: a present for country stride listeners instead, and we 're going to bundle up a variety of Christmas traditions and memories of christmas 's past we 're going to talk about the Merry Neats, these gatherings that happen. We're going to talk about Cumbrian food and drink. We're going to talk about Lords of Misrule. We're going to talk about all kinds of lost traditions from the the old days. And who is our guest today, Mark?
1: Our good friend Sue Allen, who we had the pleasure of being with on Zoom earlier in the year in the lockdown. Mm. It's marvellous to actually be with her. She's actually engrossed in the living traditions of this season Mm. and music and song and dance and the community spirit. Wonderful. And what walk have you got planned
0: for us from this lovely red sandstone village of Wetherall?
1: I'll keep it simple because there's so little light. But we'll go down to the Priory Gatehouse along to St Constantine's cells in Wetherall Woods and then back along the river to the Ferry Point and up by the church to the Green And this is
0: the River Eden, the defining watercourse that um, that is so important in this neck of the woods.
1: Yeah, it's the river we uh, visited when we did the Lady Anne's Way with Sheila Gordon uh, in Malastan, which has its birth there and flows north. uh, And it's the only river in England to flow north, and it's here at its majestic best.
0: Very good. Let's go and meet Sue and take the first steps of the Christmas Country Stride.
1: My gosh, it does all feel like December. It was warmish late morning, but we're in the afternoon now, and God, oh, there's a chill in the air. Blue sky, definitely a winter blue sky. I'm in the glorious company of Sue Allen once again. The last time we had the pleasure of your company, Sue, We were Zooming, so this is wonderful. Thank you very much, Mark. We're in Wetherall, which we've not been to before with Country Strive, which actually is not too far from where I live, but it's a very special village. It's probably one of the more affluent villages in North Cumbria. There are Christmas trees and decorations in various houses around here, so celebration in the
2: air. And you've come to celebrate Christmas with us, I believe have indeed, um, because I have quite a lot of information in my collection on Cumbrian Christmases of old. And Cumbrians did like to celebrate Christmas, it has to be said. <laughs> Singing, dancing and all the rest. Weatherall, in particular was chosen because a certain Mr John Lawson, who we don't know much about, um, but he did keep a sort of journal of goings-on and traditions that were going in the village, and he wrote them on scraps of paper, including the backs of bits of wallpaper, of all shapes and sizes, and these were held in the Cumbria archives. We don't know a lot about John Lawson except that he left these notes about the goings-on in Wetherill, writing about the 1870s to 1880s.
1: You've collected a great deal of the... Words and songs and celebratory notes that people have made over the years associated with this magical time of the year.
2: Well, Christmas customs is just one part of my huge archive of Cumbrian dance, song, traditions. One of the very earliest references I found was 1800. Francis Jolly, who was a publisher in Carlisle, wrote, Feasting and rural amusements take place at several times in the year, but the principal are at Christmas, when the greatest hospitality prevails among the villagers. Every family is provided with goose pies, minced pies and ale. Where flocks of sheep are kept, there is also an ancient custom of killing the fattest before the Christmas meal. Of the sheep, they make the first meal for breakfast on Christmas day. And then we'll hear more about the food later. But um, because it was a farming community, they were working, you know, 24 seven, most of the rest of the year. Christmas was the big excuse for a great holiday. Lots of eating. Drinking, dancing. Um, It was one of the few times farm workers got time off. And the celebrations would have gone on from Christmas Eve right through to New Year, or to Twelfth Night. Twelfth Night. Beyond. Daniel uh, Scott in the mid-19th century says, befitting its importance in the calendar, Christmas always has held the first place in popularity, you know, of our holidays. Um, Overwhelmingly, all the writers of the period say... Christmas isn't what it was but but then it never has been has it even to us it reinvents itself every year absolutely to suit the absolutely. society absolutely. And Canon Rawnsley wrote wrote about old-fashioned doings at the lakes in 1902. And most of the elderly locals he spoke to would shake their heads and say, Oh, Christmas isn't what it was when I was a lad. Um, So there we go. But not everybody thoroughly enjoyed themselves. Poor Dorothy Wordsworth, who... uh, had a birthday on Christmas Day, writes in 1801 on Christmas Eve that they did, after a walk, they sat comfortably around the fire in the evening and read Chaucer, which isn't everybody's (laughs) idea (laughs) of celebrating Christmas, but on Christmas Day was a very, very bad day. And we drank tea at John Fisher's. But by 1902, the people of Keswick that uh, Rawnsley was talking to, um, an old man told him, well, in my days there was no... Nobbit in the dale for a fortnight or 3 weeks after christmas farmers did not out. nobbit tend the cattle every house had its christmas party and all the dale was axed servants and masters they began at yan end of the dale and finished at tudder and by the old folks had their party every house had a do for childer. there was dancing and carding, playing cards and what not and raised pie forever Amazing, isn't it? But well, we've really enjoyed that
1: little sampler of what we've got in your box of tricks. Anyway, we'll have a little head down towards the Priory Gatehouse and then head on through the woods, the weatherall Woods to St. Constantine's Cells. Sounds very exciting, doesn't it? Get away from all this traffic. We've reached the gatehouse, the Priory gatehouse, which is very imposing, and uh, the red sandstone is a glorious, warm tone. It's what's left over of a great priory, and uh, it faced across the river, the River Eden. Fabulous setting, and uh, the farm buildings were constructed from most of the basic structure, and they're in fine fettle. So let's rewind to
2: some of the early writings, back to the 18th century. Yes, the earliest two uh, references I have are one from 1784 and one that's the century before. Um, But this was um, William de Warford, who wrote a brand new work in 1784, writing in dialect. He was actually um, William Hutton, who was the uh, vicar of um, Beatham, at the very south of the county. And he says his house is very quiet, really, most of the year, except when the waits, Christmas waits who went house to house playing their tunes for Christmas, except when the waits gang round. Then, to be sure, the Yule clog, they often call it that, blazes in the hearth, and then the lads of my family thump the flute to the tune of Old Roger. The barns of the neighborhood ring merrily the carol the story of the cherry tree and other godly ballads the lasses fidge their parts nor jumping joan which is a dance tune somebody says and so there's a bit of carols and there's a bit of dance tune Um, so that's the only time he allows such things in his house so what was a yule log or yule clog Yes, I don't know why they called it Yule Clog round here, except they wore clogs, of course, a lot of them. Uh, But Yule Log would be brought in on Christmas Eve, theoretically lit lit from a spark of the previous year's log, and then um, kept ablaze, so the fire was kept ablaze, essentially, right through to Twelfth Night. Said to be sort of pagan Viking tradition. Nice to know that the rector of Beatham was was actually... uh, Welcoming a Yule log into his house. <laughs>
1: well, we we keep our traditions going, even from earliest ages around here. Across the way, of course, from the Priory here, across the river, in fact, is Corby Castle. Quite an imposing building. We got a glance of it as we came along. Uh, it's standing on top of a cliff, in effect, and this is Howard country.
2: Yes, the Howards um, did occupy Corby Castle for many centuries, and their cousins, Gnarwith Castle in Brampton, and some other cousins, Greystoke Castle. There were a lot of Howards around. They were a famous Catholic family. And uh, the accounts of Lord William Howard in the 17th century have been transcribed and written up and published. And uh, there's a letter in one. It's about 1615. And it talks about um, Bampton in Westmoreland, because Lords of the Manor owned land and owned ...livings and parishes all over the county. So this is Bampton in Westmoreland. Um, and this letter says... That ...in Custonmans, last at Bampton in Westmorland, ...are living under the oversight of William Howard... ...the tenants and servants of my Lord William... ...together with others in the parish did erect a Christmas lord and did most grossly disturb the minister in time of divine service. This was a tradition, a Christmas lord who would rule the festivities, a lord of misrule.
1: I'm absolutely intrigued by this whole lord of misrule concept, which
2: sort of applied, uh, was it Twelfth Night, was it? Yes, it was a bit of Twelfth Night anarchy. I mean, few enough holidays, we've already said, they had. So when they did, you know, it was let's throw all the rules up in the air, elect somebody to be Lord of Misrule. They've already put their Christmas Lord up. But then they took him to church. That was the problem in this case. They took him to church and decided that they would... The men of misrule, as it calls them here, would just do their thing in the church. These Christenmas misrule men, some of them drunk to the minister when he was at prayers, others stepped into the pulpit and called the parishioners to an offering for maintenance of their sport. Others shot guns in the church and brought in flags and banners. And others sported themselves with pies and puddings in the church, using them as bowls in the church alleys, the church aisles, in other words. Others played with dogs, used them as they used them to fear sheep, to frighten sheep. And all these were done in the church and in time of divine service. And the said Lord doth bring the ministers about him in contempt, scorn and derision.
1: Absolute crazy picture you paint there. It confirms that... This is one of those bizarre times of the year where people do just the outrageous things and get away with it in certain places. What a fabulous place in uh, Wetherall Woods, National Trust property. Steep bank on the west bank of the River Eden. Narrow path, quite slippery this time of year. We come down a flight of stone steps, which are quite abrupt. And by this sandstone outcrop, with a plumpest of history of people's etchings all over it, going back in time, and a little walkway into the actual catacombs themselves. The wooden walkway, a short way on a ledge, leads through a doorway into a little area in front of three cells or catacombs, which apparently was lived in by an Irish monk so far, the St Constantine. But one imagines it will have been always a special place for the monks of the priory. And latter days, people will come here as a special place for the community. And it has this stunning view across the bend in the River Eden, which is a 100 yards wide at this point, a place of pilgrimage. But what we're going to do now is go back to, actually to Christmas Eve, and some of the cajoling and, and the naughtiness that went on in Wetherall itself. Good old
2: John Lawson, and thank goodness he wrote these things down. But he says that one of the strange customs and festivities that went on in Wetherall itself was on Christmas Eve. Some of the young men in the village busied themselves taking carts, gates and various other movable articles and placing them on the village green, even gates amazing. Some of the carts were put wrong side up, one thing heaped upon another and put into all sorts of shapes and forms. So on Christmas morning, when people looked out, there were interesting and fascinating things coming out of the village green. Soon after daybreak, persons might be seen wending their way to the green to look for the articles which might belong to them and take them home, but with good grace.
1: Yeah, they were brave enough to realise that it was all in good humour. Yeah. Well, some of it was. It's a lovely to sense where we are here, but it's rather nice to actually transpose ourselves back into the heart of the lakes and get dear old Grasmere.
2: Absolutely. We do need to move across the county in this. In Grasmere, um, a certain Mr Christopher North, who was really called John Wilson, who lived at Elleray at Windermere. He was a friend of the Wordsworths, friend of Southey, and he was a keen dancer, took his children to the dancing master every week. They'd have the lessons, and at Christmas there'd be a ball, Christmas ball to show off to their parents, and they were looking forward to it all week. So he wrote a whole long poem about it, and it just opens beautifully setting the scene. How calm and beautiful the frosty night has stolen unnoticed like the hush of sleep or grass mere vale. Beneath the mellowing light, now how sinks in softness every rugged steep. The old church tower a solemn watch doth keep, or the sweet village she adorns so well. Faintly the freezing stream is heard to weep, wild murmuring far within its icy cell. And hark across the lake, clear sounds, the chapel bell. It's lovely, isn't it? Um, And if we go to Grasmere, of course, we're going to think about Wordsworth as well. He mentions briefly what we call the Christmas waits, who went house to house on a good luck visit, waking every house if it was Christmas morning. Sometimes they did it Christmas Eve, playing tune. And in his introduction to the Duddon sonnets, Wordsworth says this, And who but listened till was paid respect to every inmate's claim, The greeting given, the music played in honour of each household name, and duly pronounced with lusty call, Merry Christmas was wished to all. Can you explain what a wait actually was? Well, the Christmas waits were usually plural, but sometimes it could be a solitary fiddler. Um, it's, it's a house visiting custom, which often happened at this time of year. The Christmas waits were specifically to either wake up the house in the morning, but also to give good luck to each household they went to, and they call out the person by name, and people didn't feel Christmas had started until the waits had come round. So what sort of things would they do John Lawson again, we have to go back to him because we're in Wetherill, talks about the Christmas weights being very popular. One of them was named Tom Blaylock, an inhabitant of Cunwiton. He had been a Christmas weight for several years and continued into the present century, by which he means the 19th century. He'd come early in the evening on Christmas Eve, with his fiddle so great, he'd play house to house through the village, a tune at each house. And he didn't collect money, but he had a, he had a benefit dance later in the Christmas season, where there was a big collection taken and given to him. At Wyval at Wetherall, after he'd been across the Eden, some would accompany him on his tour through the village, as he played a tune, and he would call out, past twelve or and six o'clock. But we, we also find Canon Rawnsley, who chronicled so much, by talking to older people. And again, thank goodness he did. Um, and he talks to an old man from Withburn, throw me away. And he said, why, a Christmas Eve, the fiddler and the fiddler's man began doing near at Farnseth and called at every house in the dale. And many a time I've gone wrong with a fiddler and fiddler man. And it would take a bit of fiddling, for there was a tune to be played to every name, to every household. Well, the fiddler's man would stand and call out the name of the master, the mistress, the bairns, the manservants, the lasses, one by one. And then the fiddler would play a tune.
1: Marvellous way of identifying everybody in the community as being important.
2: A better than Black Eye Friday before <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> yes.
1: And one of the tunes that the Waits would play is something you're going to introduce to us now.
2: Yes, it's Huns Up Through the Wood. And this version is from the, um, the fiddler William Irwin of Elterwater. But we have it also in the manuscript of his pupil, William Stables of Walthwaite, I think. And it's called Huns Up Through the Woods. But Huns Up, which obviously doesn't sound like a word, should be Hunts Up. And it comes from an old song, the hunt is up, the hunt is up, you know, God bless King John in the morning, or something like that, which was very popular in the 17th century, maybe even earlier.
1: 1600s and before. Maybe even earlier. So here we go with Huns Up Through the Woods. (laughs) of Wetherall Woods and opposite the river is beautifully shrouded, both sides in fact by woodland and we've got loads and loads of holly on this point which is a very traditional hollin as it would be known in Cumbrian dialect and we're coming to a kissing gate and just to the left of it is one of Pip Hall's famous discovery Eden motifs which shows a monk gathering in a salmon from the traditional salmon traps that were harnessing the harvest, the rich harvest of this wonderful river. Salmon were a traditional blessing of this river. It's a lovely lead-in to our next stage of our little Christmas story, which is the nourishment aspect of it.
2: Christmas food. New salmon, new salmon, but meat galore. There was no way of preserving meat. Every inch was used, of course. A lovely report as to how much was used in Buttermere Valley in 1774 in the local paper. In the township of Buttermere is only 16 families. But for the Christmas festivities, 17 fat sheep were killed, and from each of which sheep, 50 pies are to be made. So the number of pies to be destroyed this Christmas in the township of Buttermere amounts to... 850. But those pies would have been mince pies, a lot of them. And mince pies in there were mince. They were minced meat. We've lost the meat and they've become a sweet pie these days. But it would have been meat meat and spices. Lots of spices because we've got Whitehaven just on the coast, of course. And spices were used in the Christmas cake and the baking and in the drinks, in the mould and things like that and also to make rum butter traditionally christmas fair and especially in my family we go to my granny's house after midnight mass and there will be waiting for us a feast of cream crackers laden with rum butter
1: i believe so you actually still make this so what's the magical ingredient in your
2: rum butter you mean apart from rum and butter <laughs> well I'm afraid I'm going to have to disappoint you, Mark, because oh. I'm not going to tell you. It was my granny's recipe, and she actually got it from some old farmer's wife up in the Callback Fells, and uh, it's the most delicious rum butter, as everyone I give it to, Christmas. I rarely eat it. It's so sweet, but I do give it as presents. Oh, magic. I haven't made it yet, so oh. I haven't got any for Christ- you. Sorry.
1: Oh, Christmas is still to come in your kitchen. I gather Rawlsley recorded some of this uh, fair. Well, yes, his
2: old-fashioned doings at the lakes at Christmas is great. Uh, In 1902, he couldn't believe the amount of meat in the butchers and poulterers shops in Keswick and asked an old gentleman about it. Cushman, said an old fella, it's now to what was evogue in my day. It was no Christmas unless there was a raised pie, a big... Standing pie, they called them actually. Standing pie or raised pie. And mince pies, made of mince meat, as we talked about, and uh, apple pasties and all sorts of things. But I did also say they used every bit of the animal and uh, a lot of the, the bits would have gone into hacking. So, what was hacking so? Well, might you ask, it was a favourite Christmas dish here and it was essentially haggis. So yes, folks, predating, or possibly at the same time as what the Scots regard as their traditional fare of haggis, it was our haggis. All sorts of bits of animals that you don't want to know about boiled up in a calf's stomach with grains and oats and spices. So we got there first. It wasn't yeah. the New Scots who claim it as your national dish. We can have it as a Cumbrian dish. They're personally, I would prefer the rum butter.
1: Sounds awfully good. Well, with the evening light still upon us, which is a great blessing, we're going through a kissing gate along beside the meadow, which coincidentally explains the name Weatherall. Weather is a male castrated sheep, and this is the hull, or the huff, the low-lying ground beside the River Eden, from which the name Weatherall derives. And we're now walking along a fenced path beside that huff towards the ferrying point. This river is such an exciting sight. It's white horses cascading over the slope as it drifts down below Corby Castle, which is set upon a bastion there. And at the bottom of it, the red sandstone, you can see is the little cells that have been created there. And to the right of it is a very ornamental cascade coming down from a Gothic arch. And at the foot of it, would you believe there's a statue of Admiral Nelson. And everybody thought he only existed in Trafalgar Square. Well, he's here as well. Corby Castle itself is sitting on top of the rock with the Corby Lion Crest at the top, very top, a light at the top of it that makes you feel like it's the Star of Bethlehem. But anyway, it's a great place to meet. And when we last met, we had the conversation about Merry Neats the Merry Nights, the gatherings of folk. And Christmas was a great time for a Merry Neats.
2: It absolutely was. And a Merry Neat is obviously a Merry Night, as you say. But specifically, um, traditionally, it was an event held in the Christmas holiday season, so that long season we talked about, that couple of weeks, and it would usually be a commercial affair put on by the local innkeeper, maybe in the loft above his barn or something like that, for the local, and they'd all pay. So it was a commercial enterprise. Or in the case of Wetherill, as we mentioned, Tom Blaylock, one of the waits before, he'd play at a Mary neat, and the money collected was in effect his payment for not only that night, but for being a Christmas weight as well. Uh, and we've got people going round doing this from really early, 1812. People would go round house to house again, this tradition of Christmas, um, with exhibitions of, of, of little folk plays and sword dancing. And also, the older people would always be playing cards in one corner, And for the young folk, it was a time to meet or the opposite sex and, you know, have a really good dance. So it was either dancing for the young, card playing for the old, and a bit of singing thrown in for good measure.
1: I gather Wordsworth has a a very appropriate little verse that would fit here.
2: Yes, Wordsworth didn't commonly write about the populace and what they were up to, Um, much to my chagrin, because that's what I want to know. It's the poem about the wagoner. So Benjamin the Wagoner is travelling from Grasmere to Keswick and he stops at the cherry tree at Withburn, which isn't there any longer, and uh, Benjamin the Wagoner hears the sound of a fiddle inside. Thence the sound, the light is there, and Benjamin is now aware who to his inward thoughts confined had almost reached the festive door when startled by the sailor's roar he hears a sound, he sees a light and in a moment calls to mind that tis the village merry night. And skipping back to all who can we relate to here? John Lawson, as ever. Uh, he must have enjoyed all these events. He writes that the old merry nights were a Christmas custom deeply rooted in the mind of people locally. Rich and poor thought it their duty to contribute a share for the benefit of the landlady. Uh, As each got on the floor to dance, they'd choose a partner and they'd dance to Jacks the Lad, Flowers of Edinburgh. These were names of tunes and dances. Three or four reels, jig tunes, and dancing and singing would continue far beyond the small hours of the morning. And the plate generally would go around a second time then to benefit the fiddlers, which often made fiddling a very profitable employment. (laughs) The principal dances, as he said, jigs, reels, and country dances. Sometimes the dance of horse and away, otherwise known as the jockey dance, which the travelling dancing masters used to teach the children, and obviously they then remembered it, and when they were adults and would, they'd keep time to the crack of the whip as if riding horses. So this was a dance that they'd perform for the benefit of the assembled company, and a sword dance as well.
1: So we're approaching New Year's Eve, and I think if we walk a few more paces to the ferrying point, we'll have a little bit more of a natter there. Very appropriate. We've come to one of the Eden benchmarks. It's called the Flight of Fancy, installed in 1999. It's uh, a stone bench with wings and stone cushions. It's a lovely bench. And in fact, because it's constantly being flooded by the river, it looks like it's been here for 50 or 100 years. And downstream from here is the Wetherill Viaduct on the oldest coast-to-coast railway line, Newcastle to Carlisle, constructed in 1834, I think. And Opposite us where we're standing is Ferry Cottage, which was the way that people from Great Corby attended church here on this bank of the river. Holy Cross and St Constantine's Church. No longer operative, but I believe the hook is still there on that shore. But in terms of our narrative, we're approaching New Year's Eve. What stories have you in store,
2: well, it's a song, really, by the well-known Cumberland Bard, Robert Anderson, about whom I've just written a book as well. And uh, one of his best-known and best-loved poems was The Bleckle-Murray-Neat, Murray-Neat being Mary-Neat, mm-hmm. and it is actually dated as being New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve, 1802, and it opens, um, had a tune as well if you want a bit of that, a uh, hey, lads, I can mournate, we've had a blackle, the sound of the fiddle yet rings in me ear. Ah, oh, clipped and hailed were the lads and the lasses, and money a cleverish hizzy was there. The better sort sat snug I the parlour, in e the pantry, the cut a he soft, the dancers, they kicked up a stool in the kitchen, at the cardlakers sat in the loft, the clogger of Dalston's a famished top hero. And bangs all the player fork twenty to Yan, He stamps with his fit, and he shouted and roistered till the sweat it ran off his varachin, and he held up your hand like the spout of a teapot, danced cross the buckle and led it to patch, and they cried, "Bonnie Bell!" He lapped up to the ceiling, and I cracked his thumbs for a bit of a thratch.
1: Fabulous, isn't
2: it? Can Oi. I do the end, the very, very ending? Maybe the last four lines. The last of December, because that's what we're talking about. Lang we'll remember at five in the morn, 1800 and Here's health and success to the brave Johnny Dalston. And sick meetings, may we live to see. And that was Anderson and everybody else, virtually out of their heads with all the alcohol and the fun and the exhaustion, ending up in ditches and all sorts. But it was a great time and may we have many more.
1: Quite indeed. Your book, The Cumberland Bard, Robert Anderson of Carlisle, 1770 to 1833. Well, it's been a majestic little tour of Wetherall Woods and the Weatherall setting. And we're still just beside the River Eden, and there's some lights across the way that's sparkling in the river. There's a light upon Corby Castle... And there's even the bells of the church. And we're going to end this wonderful episode with a tune associated with a Neat. Could you explain a little bit before it's played?
2: Yes, we've got the wonderful Carolyn Francis with Fiddler and Friends playing a tune written by William Irwin of Elterwater and it's called Keswick Bonnie Lasses. <coughs>
0: Journey's end, night has fallen, Christmas trees twinkling on the green here at Wetherill and a bounty of Christmas memories from the Cumbrian days of yore there, Mark. <laughs> are, you, are you in the mood now? Oh, absolutely. Uh, just listening to Sue is just so, ma- so magical. I loved her repeated anecdote that even in the 1600s, people were saying, it's not like it was
1: in my day. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. The, the, the mischief in the air was, uh, and the merriment and the alcohol, it simply flowed. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. From
0: us here... At Country Stride, we're wishing you happy Christmas. Thanks for being with us for this year. And next up is our review of the year coming in just a few days' time. So we look forward to joining you then. But for now, happy Christmas. Thank you for joining
1: us.